Hello, I'm Joe Lupton from Global Economic Research here at J.P. Morgan. You're listening to At Any Rate, our global research podcast where we take a look at the stories behind some of the biggest trends, themes, and industries and markets today. So far, 2020 has defied all expectations. In just a few short months, the world has kind of been turned upside down by the outbreak of a deadly virus really touched nearly every country in the world, causing a huge global shutdown, surge in unemployment, the deepest recession we've seen since the Great Depression, a lot of unprecedented policy actions taken in place and moves that are kind of influencing markets. Along with the health crisis, of course, the COVID shock, we're now seeing civil unrest and nationwide protests taking place really as we approach a crucial U.S. presidential election. Can we say with any real certainty what a second half is going to look like? I'm joined by Joyce Chang to go through some of this. Joyce is the chair of global research at J.P. Morgan. She and I are going to discuss what's been going on in the global economy, markets so far this year, and, and then hopefully what we're setting ourselves up for in the second half. So, Joyce, thanks a lot for joining me. Oh, great to be here with you, Joe, and so much to talk about. Let's dig into it. As I said, we are going through what is an epic downturn. I mean, levels of GDP growth contractions that we've just not seen before. Certainly one quarter declines are off the charts. Maybe you could argue not as bad as feared as some of the data is coming in, but this is still very ugly. It does feel like things have bottomed in April and things are starting to get better as we move through May. The consumers are coming back a little bit. I think levels of activity will be depressed for quite some time, but you're going to get some pretty strong growth rates off this. Activity is jumping back and you can see it across a whole range of indicators. So with that said, Joyce, how have the markets performed through this and is there still attractive value anywhere given how much risk markets have run? What we really have seen, Joe, a V-shaped recovery across the markets. And what the central banks did was really send a strong message that we can't afford to have a global financial crisis when we're fighting a humanitarian crisis and a global pandemic. So the amount of liquidity they've provided has been extraordinary. It's beyond anything that we saw during the global financial crisis. We've seen the G4 balance sheets, meaning the central banks of the Fed, the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, and the Bank of England are likely to reach about $20 trillion by the end of this year. So central banks have acted very aggressively to prevent a tightening in financial conditions, and they've been absorbing this increased issuance in government bonds. We've seen a dramatic retracement in the financial markets. You have credit markets basically have retraced more than 70% of the COVID-19 losses, and equities, a lot of cyclical sectors, have retraced more than 50%. We've had this very rapid rally that I think is ahead of some of the economic conditions, but that's because the message from the central banks has remained very consistent that they are going to stay supportive of the markets. We are still predicting for the S&P 500 that you're back to the pre-pandemic levels by the first half of 2021. The top performing asset classes this year, it's been gold number one. 
then U.S. Treasuries, and then U.S. high grade. But Joe, what I wanted to really just talk more about is what the recovery does look like as we go into the second half of the year. What does the second half of the year hold? And you've written that in many ways, this is an incomplete recovery. We're going to see some eye-popping numbers up, just as we saw eye-popping numbers down. But what do you mean by an incomplete recovery? And how are you looking at the U.S. versus the global economy more broadly? The first point to make is what you touched on there, and that is that we are going to see some eye-popping growth rate numbers, meaning positive growth. In the U.S., we're looking for 20% annualized growth in the third quarter. In Europe, we're talking 60% annualized growth in the third quarter. Overall, global GDP up over 30% annualized. Those are really unprecedented numbers. Now, of course, these come after unprecedented downturns. And the question is, where does this leave us by the time we get to the end of the year? Even though we're going to feel this big springboard bounce, it is off a really low base. And this is the crux of the matter. And I think it's probably the most central thing that anyone who's investing money should keep in mind. And this is this notion of an incomplete recovery, namely that despite the big bounces, we think levels of GDP are still going to be severely depressed by the end of the year. For the U.S., that means a level of GDP by the fourth quarter that is still nearly 5% below its end of 2019 level. What does that mean for people? Well, it means, unfortunately, unemployment rates, despite having spiked up and now starting to move down, they're going to stay elevated. And we have the unemployment rate still around 10% by the end of this year, not too far away from where we were at the bottom of the global financial crisis. We think even by the time we get to the end of next year, the U.S. unemployment rate is still going to be floating just a little under 8%. Those are very high numbers, and people need to be prepared for the fact that after the initial bounce, things are going to feel soft here. I think you're just going to have a real behavioral reticence of people to go out and spend. I know in the U.S., states are opening up, in Europe, containment policies are coming off. But even if governments are saying you can go back and kind of start to live your life as normal, behavioral response is going to be slower. You're going to have elevated rates of saving that are going to weigh on consumer spending. We're thinking corporate profits could be down as much as 40% on a 12-month trailing for 2020. And even by 2021, we're talking about profits that are relative to their 2019 level, still 10% in a hole. At the same time, you're seeing debt really surge from the fiscal side. You have these tremendous supports, but those don't come for free. We're thinking overall debt levels around the world are going to surge probably on the order of 20, 30 percentage points of GDP. And that is going to be a burden combined with private sector debt increasing. So for all of those reasons, we have this incomplete recovery, as you put it. Turning this back to you, Joyce, we've seen this remarkable V-shaped recovery in risk markets. I almost feel like risk markets are saying, geez, we hear you economists. We hear you. We don't believe you. We think there's going to be a V-shaped recovery. What's going to happen, Joyce? What happens in the marketplace if we're right and you start to see this incomplete recovery is, is more the real story? 
Well, I think, Joe, that's a great question, and I think it's going to be a bit bumpier from here, given the gains that we've seen ahead. But this is what I think the market is going to be looking at. I think default rates are going to rise. We're right now at a little over 6% in the high-yield default rate, and we're looking at that going to 8% by the end of the year. I mean, at 6%, we're at a 10-year high right now. Fallen angels have already hit this record level. We're looking at north of $200 billion. Now, this still can be managed because of the support that the central banks are providing and your back of the envelope estimate of three times the support. When we actually take a look at global money supply or broad liquidity, we're looking at numbers that are in the order of 13 to 17 trillion of extra M2 money supply by the first quarter of 2021. Our estimates are that only about four and a half trillion of this liquidity injection has already taken place. I wouldn't be surprised if you see the markets actually hold in here. You're not going to have gains at the same place, but the combination of factors that we see, an unprecedented liquidity boom from the fiscal and monetary channels, the lower interest rates, the compressed credit spreads, I don't think the market is going to suffer a major correction, even if you see greater volatility here. We've said a fair bit about equities. You've talked a bit about credit. What about the other asset classes that we should think about? On my mind right now is commodities and emerging markets. Are these areas that are also going to be sensitive to our call for an incomplete recovery? And how do they play out in a world where we think risk markets in general have seen a more of a V-shaped recovery? Well, I think that you're finally at an inflection point on the oil markets. You had this dramatic drop in global oil demand as we went through the great lockdown. And at the same time, you had a price war playing out with OPEC+. Plus. Um, you had surplus inventory. You had real constraints also on the storage capacity. So on April 20th, we hit that negative read in the futures market. When we looked at oil prices, we've actually seen global demand and supply start to rebalance. What we're looking at right now is that you hit this inflection point that probably around August, this rebalancing will be even clearer. You still have some deficits that are playing out significantly now on many of the oil producers. But at the OPEC plus meeting, They extended the curbs of 10 million barrels per day. That's supporting prices for many oil exporters right now. We've also seen that global oil demand is tracking at about 88% of the pre-virus levels. What we're looking at for the end of the year is for both WTI and Brent crude to average around $40, $41 per barrel. I think that that has been a real source of volatility that we do see calming down as the year progresses and oil demand comes back online. Also, many of the emerging markets are commodity exporters. So we're looking at the impact of China recovering on emerging markets. We just took the China growth forecast up a bit. We now have it at 2%. So China, after contracting in the first quarter of the year by 35%, has actually come back About 44% is our second quarter forecast. And we do think that that's a V-shaped recovery, even if the rest of the global economy isn't going through a V-shaped recovery. Joe, one thing I wanted to just ask you about, can you just talk to us about how you're looking at the risk as we look beyond next year and beyond the U.S. elections and the issues that will be discussed and debated and what this will mean for potential growth as we look out on a medium-term horizon? 
well, perhaps the biggest risk right now is the fear around the second wave of the virus. And we've got to start talking about COVID-20. It's going to be COVID-21. There's lots of talk about vaccines, but there's a reason that we don't have vaccines for things like MRSA and, and SARS, because they take a long time to develop. You can't just throw money at it and all of a sudden, boom, you've got a vaccine by September. So we're going to have to live with this for a while. We have to find a new normal. Heightened testing would be a central way to try to contain this, but the infrastructure is not there yet. That is something that probably you could throw money at to improve the infrastructure on that. I also think these concerns about deglobalization and the trade war, both looking towards China and even looking across the Atlantic to Europe, this is just a reflection of the new normal of deglobalization. I think that should give people some real concerns. And I would put that in the kind of more medium term downside risk category. But the election is pretty important here. And I guess I wouldn't mind ending with thoughts on that from you. If you just think of politics in general, you could also loop Brexit in there, which is looking like a real increasing likelihood of a no deal Brexit. That's a concern. But just focusing on the U.S. election, a sweep for the Democrats would really change policies quite a bit. Biden has already said that you would be raising the corporate tax rate. Is this something that we should be worried about? I'm curious what you're hearing because you have lots of contacts in D.C., what people's thoughts are there. I think you're right. If you take a look at betting markets, we've seen the betting markets really betting on a change administration right now. And I think you're right. This campaign is going to get just more complicated. One thing that I think is going to remain an election issue is the U.S.-China relations. As you mentioned, just these broader concerns around deglobalization over the medium term, I don't think they're going to go away irrespective of whether we have a change in administration or not. I think you will see a debate coming up as we talk about just the size of the fiscal costs and the debt ratios out of this crisis. We're looking at public sector debt ratios that will be in the order of 15 to 20 percentage points higher and double-digit fiscal deficits that will stay with us through 2021. So what will be the right way to try to address some of these gaps? And I think you will see more discussion on some of the things that we had seen before the pandemic. Will there be more discussion on wealth tax, on tech tax, on digitalization taxes, these types of things? But I think that the U.S. China relationship will actually be at the heart of many of these discussions. And the very ironic thing that I'm seeing is that it's actually the phase one trade agreement that's keeping some constructive dialogue on track, even though that was the source of volatility last year. No doubt. The much higher levels of debt is certainly worth pointing out. That's one certainty of all of this. All right, Joyce, thanks so much. It's been a very interesting conversation. Well, thank you so much, Joe. I hope our listeners have enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. Please stay tuned for more episodes of At Any Rate, J.P. Morgan's Global Research Podcast Series. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read J.P. Morgan research reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. 2020, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded in June 2020.